The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to advance the Lordship of Christ, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. Hello and welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. This is the show for culture makers where we help you think about the nature of human beings and what we do and make with the raw materials of creation, and how those cultural activities reflect our relationship to God, to one another, and to the world. I'm Ryan Aris, and today it's my pleasure to welcome Dennis Doty to the show. Dennis is principal at Westminster Classical Christian Academy here in Toronto, and he's been involved for the past few years in developing and growing Christian education in Canada, which is great for us because originally he's from Texas. This is episode 5 of season 1 of the podcast for Cultural Reformation. This season is all about culture, and today we're going to be talking about why, if you think of culture as something we build, why education is a core pillar of that structure. Dennis will talk about the role of education in shaping culture, the nature and goal of education as given to us by God, and what we can do as pastors, as teachers, as parents, and as citizens to support a healthy view of education for a healthy view of culture. Dennis Doty, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Ryan. I appreciate that. No, it's my pleasure. Glad to have you. Good to be here. And we are here um, on site at the school, and we might uh, we might hear some, some students running around, and that'll be all right. Oh, that's great. Um, as always, we're going to start with a reading from God's Word, and at Dennis's suggestion, we're going to read um, Proverbs 1, 20 through 33, and uh, we'll consider... What this meant for its original hearers will consider how it applies to us today. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets she raises her voice. At the head of noisy streets she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way, and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure, and will be at ease, without dread of disaster. Now Dennis, you had... uh... You had recommended this passage for today's discussion to uh, to help us sort of guide and shape what we're going to be talking about. What does this have to do with education? Yeah, good question. Um, I've been thinking a lot about Proverbs, Proverbs 1, Proverbs 2, 3, 4, uh, even all the way through 6. And the, the emphasis is on wisdom, pursuit is wisdom. Mm-hmm. And scripture is very clear about the goal of of Christians is to have wisdom. And when I read Proverbs 1, 20 through 33, the one that you just read, 
I see that it says in the very beginning, verse 20, wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the market she raises her voice. And I think that, I mean, the Christian walk is filled with individuals who are saying, here is wisdom. The, the word of God is wisdom. Hmm. And not only that, but if you, if you don't have wisdom, then you have to think about what is the alternative. Uh, and that's where it says about what it looks like. It says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? And I think it's safe to say that when we look at culture, we see that society is filled with scoffers, with simple ones, with people hmm. being simple, uh, fools that hate knowledge. And it says if you that if you turn away from that, if you pursue knowledge, if you pursue wisdom, then I will pour out my spirit to you, and I will make my words known to you. And then at the end of Proverbs, uh, verse thirty-three. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Uh, and then even continuing on in, in chapter 2, uh, what, what is wisdom? If you pursue wisdom, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. If you go to verse uh, chapter 2, verse 10, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Uh, discretion will watch over you, and understanding will guard you. Uh, and even down in chapter 3, verse 13, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Um, and then verse 23, then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. Those who are wise, those who are in tune with culture, those who understand and have discernment um, are moving in the ways of wisdom. And they have a good understanding of, of culture. They're not swayed. Uh, they're not tossed to and fro. They have a grounding. They're rooted. Mm -hmm. um, and all of that is, is found in wisdom. And I think that if, if there's anything that our culture needs, uh, now more than anything, is an education that, uh, that moves the student to understanding what wisdom is. And when I meet with parents, when I visit with prospective families, right. I tell them that in the end, in education at Westminster Classical, they will have plenty of knowledge. They're going to leave with the times tables. They're going to understand the math facts. They're going to understand science. They're going to, they're going to have a full breadth. And it's going to be an education that will be fine with getting them into university. And mm -hmm. what well, mm -hmm. I should say, it's going to be an excellent education <laughs> in the area of knowledge. But that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is wisdom. Because if we have students that have all knowledge, but they don't have love, or they don't have wisdom, then they're going to be acting presumptuously. They're going to be uh, not wise in, in how they handle that knowledge. And then, right. is that really what we want? We want students who are walking around with all knowledge, but not wisdom. Just then, kind of wielding all of these sort of facts and quotations uh, right. to, to a purpose that they don't understand. Right, right. And if you look at the history of classical education, it is, it is filled with students who do have all that facts, who do have all that knowledge, but the pursuit of a classical education is the goal of wisdom and of godly virtue. And so if we can, hmm. if we can put before our kids and if we can train them to pursue the qualifications of an elder, whether that is male or female, but pursuing and, and if they embody those qualifications, then that is good for a child, it's good for a family, but it's also great for a culture. And if, hmm. and I think that you can't 
you can't divorce students going out into the world from being culture makers, from, from impacting culture. They, they, right. they, they have to do that in some way. They're either going to join uh, with, with the negative influence of culture, or they can step in and say, we're going to be culture changers. Right, right. So they can sort of, the stream's flowing one way or the other, right. and they can float along with it, or they can right. they can push towards godly wisdom and right. in culture. Right, and that's what I see with, with wisdom in Proverbs 1, when it says that uh, whoever listens to me will dwell secure. And Christians need to be uh, wise in their thinking. They need to, to think rightly. They need to think well. They need to speak well. And then when they do that with wisdom, they're not going to be swayed by, by what culture is telling them that they have to do or how they have to live or how they have to think. Um, instead, we want to do that. Right, right, right. Now, is, is, this, the, uh, is this the goal of, of classical education exclusively? Or what is this a, uh, is this a biblical, or is this compatible, I should say, with a biblical understanding of education? It is, uh, it is a classical understanding. Um, even from the, the ancient uh, Greek and Roman society that we have kind of borrowed these ideas from, <laughs> they, they pursued, they had in their mind an understanding of the ideal person. And so whenever you would read Homer or you would read these, these great works, you would see the emphasis of, of these different gods. And the different gods embodied different characteristics that they wanted the people to pursue. And so there was this understanding of the ideal man, and all of myth was trying to form and to shape and understand what is this ideal man. Hmm. And so the Greeks and the Romans, they would either cast off uh, vices and put on virtues in order to obtain this ideal man status. Well, then the Christian comes along and said, there's a lot that we can learn from the Greeks and the Romans. Hmm. We don't need to take on all those things. We, we can, uh, we can, you know, eat the meat and spit out the bones type of idea that we yeah, can, yeah. we can take from the Greek and the Roman civilizations, the culture, uh, the, the, the intentional pursuit of truth, goodness, and beauty, but then we can dignify it and we can take it for our own use as Christians. And then we say hmm. that, uh, in the pursuit of the ideal man, we know who that is. And the ideal man is Jesus Christ. And so then we look at what has Jesus done as the ideal man, and we want to cast off those vices and put on those virtues uh, that, is, that is like Jesus. Now, some of what Jesus did is very contrary to uh, the, the pagan and the Greek societies, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. which is why it's important that we hold uh, Jesus as the ultimate example, the ideal example. And so that's where you have this, this blending of Hebrew society, you have a blending of the Greek and Roman understanding of, of the ideal man. Try to blend those two, those things together hmm. uh, because there's great things to take from all of that. So the Christian school, the entire uh, Christian school, not just a Bible class or not just a reading of Scripture in, in a science course, but from administration, from the teachers to the, the order of your day, the first thing you do in the morning, Hmm. All those things need to embody uh, this idea of putting wisdom for the students, saying this is good. And, and if you obtain this, then it's good for you, it's good for your family, and it's good for, for culture as a, as a whole. So that, that's what we're striving for. That is uniquely classical. Right. In a, in a, in a, in a classical understanding, in a Christian classical education. Um, 
but uh, yeah, we take it hopefully a step further. Right, right. So it's uh, the the Greeks and the Romans. They had a uh, they had a good a good structure. They they correctly by by grace understood that uh, that there were such things as virtues and vices, and that they and they understood that that those are sort of those are inculcated, those are developed and instilled from a person's youth. Right now, in, in that time period, they would take. Um, some of the virtues and hold it up in such a way that it would become a vice. But I think that's, hmm. that's indicative hmm. of, of, of every culture. and Anybody can do that, of taking a virtue and, and making it a vice. But there were, there were some very specific voices within that, those time periods that, that rightly put forward the pursuit of wisdom. Uh, you hmm. can't just take the whole culture and say, all of Roman thought was was good and right. Sure, but there sure. were individuals who comes yeah. along and says that this this attitude is not helpful as a whole society. Uh, this um, the, the passion that you're exhibiting is not best unless it's tempered with something else. So there's mm. there are ideas um, that are good uh, for society for a culture, but how it's presented or how it's put forward uh, might not be the best. So right, in, right. in the topic of in, in talking about the Greek and the Romans, um, they're a pagan society. You can't take everything that they're saying and doing and saying we're going to, uh, even in a sense of we're going to redeem what they're, what they're doing. Yeah, we, yeah. We don't want to go even that far. There are some things that we, we, we can take and we can appreciate. Um, their emphasis on beauty, their emphasis on... Um, man being an image bearer uh, huh. of some sort. Now, Christians come alongside and say, well, you are an image bearer of God. They would say, you know, an image bearer of some type of, uh, of deity, but they wouldn't okay. have, have or, necessarily a name for it. Or some kind of so, idealized virtue. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. So I guess, uh, like, inescapably, if I can put it, uh, put it in this way, every culture has a philosophy of education every culture has has an idea that's sort of written on the stones in uh, of of how they're going to train their their uh, their next generation can you can you just say a little bit about why that is why why education is such a central component of any culture yeah well just there is the understanding there's the hope mm-hmm. that our young our children will pass on the values to the future, pass on the values of, of that time to the future. It is, it is every parent's hope and goal that the values that they pass on is good and right and, and true and for the next culture, for the next group. Um, what's difficult and what I see is that each generation is succumbing in some way to values and ideals that are not best for the next group, for the next generation, for the next society. Uh, one thing that, that's, as an example that I've seen, is that there's been a, a change. If you look at what was called the, the greatest generation, right? Yeah, they understood that 
you fulfill your responsibility before a privilege is given. Your responsibility, mm-hmm. for example, could be you come home, you do your chores, you do your homework, uh, and then once you do that, then you can go outside and play. Or there is some type of service that you did for the family, uh, for that for that uh, that generation. But instead, now it's been flipped. The idea is 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 okay, but it's been flipped to we have been quick to give the privilege before the child has demonstrated the responsibility. Mm. So it's it's been flipped, and I don't see that as necessarily a healthy thing. Right, right, and. And we definitely see it in culture. We definitely see it in education. We definitely see it in students. And what it does is it is providing a um, a deep seed in the heart of a child that that's what they're going to start expecting. They're going to start expecting that when they come home, if a privilege, a privilege ought to be that you can have time with the tablet, you can have time, screen time. Right, right. Um, and then after that, then they can do their responsibility. But what's then it just gets hard, and that's just that's just tough parenting hmm. is that whenever you're giving privileges and then you have to try to come back and say, okay, now you've had enough of that. It's time for you to do your responsibility. No child is going to want to do that. Yeah. And yeah. so often with this culture, with this generation, we are, we really want um, a child's happiness mm-hmm. and that gets really difficult uh, in order to, to parent. And even as being a teacher, it's difficult to teach because the culture is so focused on uh, making a child happy rather than doing what's best for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what we want to say, classical education and at our school, is that there are, there are there is responsibility that you have to do as a student. There's responsibility you have to do in academics. There's responsibility you have to do with other students in your class. Uh, how you talk, how you behave, how you um, conduct yourself. Um whether that's standing whenever a visitor comes into the room or, or uh, holding out the chair for a, a lady to sit in um, and then pushing it in, or whether it's to serve one another, um, have open the doors for the ladies to go in. That's not necessarily old-fashioned. That's just good values and good virtues. Mm-hmm. But what it's doing is it's putting the responsibility uh, for the student to do first, and then once they do that, then they can certainly have more opportunities and more privileges given to them. Um, now that probably strayed away from your original question. No, no, that's uh, a good kind of concrete example for what uh, what we're what we're up against in uh, in our day and age, and what we're trying to. Right. right. But it, it's not like it's not like we're trying to get back to the fifties. Right. 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 Yeah, there are just some some transcendent values and ideals that is that is good to have. In order to, in our case, to advance the Christian cause, hmm. um, to to be wise again, um, you know, even this morning, uh, for example, we just finished with our chapel service, and we were talking about our, our words, uh, hmm. the language that we use, and uh, in that we read several passages, um, but one of those is um, Ephesians. Ephesians 4, 6, I'm sorry, Colossians 4, 6, it says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And then uh, Ephesians 4, 29, 
uh, says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good is for building up, as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. Those are good, uh, just good values to have. Um, that, that is good for society, that's good for culture, just to be, let your words be seasoned with grace, hmm. um, to, to be wise in, in how you talk, um, not being so quick to speak, but more of a ready to listen. Right, um, right. Be quick to hear. So th- those are all the transcendent, um, as an example, the transcendent value that is just good for culture, it's good for society. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I guess that's a, that, that's a really compelling case for, I guess, the, the purpose and the goal of education. What, or maybe, maybe to, uh, to fill in that picture, to take it to the next step, like what, are, uh, what can we do? Um, we're, we've been talking a lot about our children and a little bit about, uh, about our resp- responsibility as parents. Um, but what, uh, what can we do as, as adult culture makers, participants in culture, to do, to see our children uh, grow in wisdom and virtue. Yeah, excellent question. I am becoming more and more convinced that it needs to be a value and a goal for Christians to send their kids to a Christian school. Mm-hmm. And I and I have learned a lot in being in in particularly uh, Toronto. Uh, right. culture and, yeah, and yeah. being in this Canadian environment um, where you have culture is not just um, not in agreement because they're, they're no longer even being uh, courteous but they are uh, culture is being antithetical they're being hostile to Christian values and beliefs and they are seeking to undermine those things I mean some examples that I give parents is that there, there's a school down the road that mm. they do not let parents in the building. Now, I understand as far as a security standpoint, sure. you know, just with, with, with the world going bad nowadays, that you, you have to have some, some, some tight controls over who comes into the doors. And right, such. right. But at the other point, it, uh, it really is concerning to me because there are families that, that don't know their teachers. They don't know what's being taught. They cannot assume that they're going to be learning even foundational points anymore, that, that, that phonics is being attacked, uh, just the, the basic foundational uh, elements of education. You don't know if those are being taught. And instead, you can have a teacher that can have a very liberal agenda, and these kids are so um, susceptible, and their minds are still forming, their, their hearts are still forming, they're um, very pliable, yeah. so it's it, it's just very alarming that that uh, we had a family that that left school like that, and it was a junior kindergarten, and the child came home and saying, "Dad, what is gender normativity?" And it's just like, and the dad just kind of alarmed, saying, "Where did you hear that? Well, my, my teacher taught it." Uh, there's another school that um, in senior kindergarten where the teacher had a coming out party, uh, and so she. Um, basically threw herself a, a big party, and she had the kids participate in it, had, had balloons, had candy, had everything. It was, it was a, almost like a, a big birthday party, but it was a coming out. For this teacher herself. For this teacher, for <laughs> herself. And, and I mean, what child is not going to want to participate in that? The child's not going to yeah, say, yeah. 
hold on. Uh, I don't want to, I don't believe in the, these values that you're promoting, so I'm not going to participate in this party. Seems um, a bit self-indulgent to say to say nothing of the culture, the other um, morality. And so, I, when I visit with parents, I, I never want to come off as that strong in saying it's impossible to be a Christian and and to navigate the public education system. I, I don't right. want to, I don't want to be so staunch in saying that, but I'm finding it increasingly harder and harder to say that uh, a Christian family can do that. Yeah, In what? order to do that, their eyes have to be so wide open in going into the situations. You have to uh, be very proactive with your child in saying, I mean, whether it's even role-playing, if this happens, here's how you respond. If, if this conversation comes up, here's how you excuse yourself. And then you have to say, is my child able to do that at a JKSK level? Yeah, totally. Um, maybe at a grade three, grade four, uh, you can have those conversations and be very proactive in it. Um, but when you have culture that is being so blatant in attacking the Christian values, uh, I, I just see the need for Christian education more and more. Yeah, that's uh, that's wild. Why? How is phonics coming uh, coming under censure? Yeah. Is, is there any, what's distinctly Christian about phonics? Well, it's not actually, yeah, distinctly Christian <laughs> about phonics. That's a good question, good point. Um, there, so, as an example, we teach what's called explicit phonics here at uh, Westminster. And in explicit phonics, there are rules that the children learn. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. there's like 71, 72 rules that a student learns. So whenever they look at the, the letter, when they see the letter A, they're yeah. going to say that it's a, it makes an a, a, a sound. Yeah, yeah. And so then the goal is that whenever they come to any word, like the word inauguration, well, they break it down into syllables, inauguration, and then they're able to phonetically apply those rules. So any word they come to, eventually by, by grade three or grade four, they're able to phonetically sound it out and they'll be able to apply the rules. Mm-hmm. So then they're mm-hmm. going to be able to read at, uh, not necessarily at a, at a I think they will be able to read at a faster pace, but they'll be able to read at a much deeper level. Right. Which is what you would want. Now, yeah, in, who could be against that? Yeah, in contrast, there is this whole language, uh, or implicit phonics, or something that a lot of people are, and how they were taught, uh, which is that you, you look at uh, you know, the, the strip that's above the whiteboard, the blackboard, mm. and you have the letter A, and then you have a picture of an apple. Right, and yeah, so you, yeah. You begin to have word associations, uh, and that's kind of whole language. You don't have the, the, the rigid rules applied mm-hmm. to that. Um, and part of it, again, goes back to the idea of responsibility and privilege, hmm. because in order to have the privilege of being able to read widely and deeply and liberally and be able to introduce to wonderful ideas, um, you have to do the work you have to do the responsible thing of learning all those rules of grammar, the rules of phonics. Um, the culture nowadays uh, is not wanting to do that, introduce that, uh, huh. because it is a form of uh, a demand that you're putting on a child before they're ready for it. Oh, it's not uh, going to make them happy? It's not going to make them happy. And and we have, we're hearing, uh, it blows my mind when I think about some of these things, because I, we're hearing more schools that are no longer teaching phonics at all. Because the, we're on this 
goofy age of wanting our kids to be able to discover things on their own. They will, they will, they will have a better understanding and grasp of it if they can, if they can come to it on their own. So we've heard recently from, um, I think it's actually in a different school district hmm. where they're no longer teaching phonics, but instead, you know, the, the, they have the things for phonics. They have the whole language strip above the blackboard. Right. And the teacher can't teach it, though. They have to wait till the child asks the question. Um, I'm coming to this word, um, and I don't know how to... What does this word mean? Do you, do you want me to teach you what it means? Do you want me to teach you what that word is? And if a child says, no, don't teach me. Just tell me what the word is. Okay, I'll just tell you what it is. Wow. They're no longer able to actually go through the instruction of, of teaching and of learning. Um, and all that is just because it's, it's, it's an, you're creating an environment of something that's oppressive. You're creating an environment where you're demanding something of a child. And that doesn't make the kids happy. Uh, it puts more pressure on them. Mm-hmm. Rather, mm-hmm. we want them to be able to enjoy and delight in these things. Which is then where they, where they get this idea of play-based education. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where they get these ideas of um, we want the child to be able to, to be in an environment where they're happy because then when they're happy, they're going to thrive. And so that nothing's going to be required of them. Nothing's going to be asked of them. And so then you're looking at kind of a, an idea of stunted growth. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, how, how long do they, do they expect that that's going to last? Yeah. Like, are we going to have a generation, or do we already have maybe a generation of 25-year-olds who are, yeah. like, coming into, coming into work in the morning and rewarding themselves with screen time right off the bat before they start into their responsibilities? I, I, think, I think you are seeing that. And what, what's also, uh, it, it's interesting to, to track and to follow. Because um, you do want to see what that type of education is going to produce. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really interested to see what's going to happen with that generation of students in this play-based uh, theory of education. Now, it's, it's nothing new because uh, for the past hundred years, uh, as a result of John Dewey, Horace Mann, and some other people, they've mm. been they've been testing educational models and theories on kids, and you haven't seen a growth of wisdom come out of it. Mm-hmm. You've seen mm-hmm. people who are trained for a, a skill set. You've seen people who are trained for a job. You've seen people who are trained for factory work. Mm-hmm. But you're not necessarily seeing kids think deeply, think wisely, think well, be able to speak well. They're, they're as a result of this, um, you know, testing of educational theories, um, it's, they're just doing something that is more of a skills-based, mm. uh, not necessarily holistic for, for, the, for the good of the person, for the good of the child, really right. for the good of society. Yeah, because they're not, uh, to say, not to say anything against working in a factory, but they're not, they're not being trained to, to come up and sort of take the tiller of, uh, of this, this cultural, uh, thing that we're that we're doing and move right. it in a uh, a forward direction right you used to have uh factory workers and people who were in industry that were able to think well 
who who were able to think deeply, who knew Latin, who knew, yeah, uh, who who were able to read widely and were introduced to those ideas. And the difference was that those individuals, when when thinking deeply, they had an impact when it came time to vote. They mm-hmm, had an impact mm-hmm. when it came time to gather together as a community and think of community ideals. What's what's good for our community, not just now for our own pleasure, but what's good for the long run. Um, consider consider churches. Churches, uh, you know, fifty years or seventy years ago had a really healthy budget um, because mm-hmm. they were not just thinking of what can we do now, what can we build on now, but what can we set aside for future generations. Huh. Um, and if you have uh, you see that with factory workers uh, back then, but but as John Dewey steps in, and and others with different educational theories, it became more of an industry mindset of what can we produce that's good for right now, huh. rather than what is lasting for the future for the future generations. So I, I'm really curious to to see what happens, how how educational philosophy is going to pan out yeah. with, with what's being promoted right now. Uh, in every educational philosophy uh, that is put forward by by a debased society and culture, it will come to nothing, hmm. and there mm-hmm. there is still going to need to be Christians who are able to think deeply and wisely, and to, to speak well, and and. I think that, and I've mentioned this too, I'm curious because I think that's going to happen is it's going to just collapse on itself. Huh. And Christians are going to be the only ones who are going to have the wisdom and fortitude and insight and discernment and wisdom to then step forward with a better way. We, have, we do have families uh, that come to us who are non-believing. And it's interesting, they say, I, I don't believe in what you're doing. But I do agree with Christian values because hmm. I know that those Christian values, it's just good for society right? and it will, right. be, and it will be long lasting. And I want my child, if nothing else, to have the character, the Christian character. Right. I don't care if they have the belief or not, but if they just have the Christian character, then they will be set for life. Huh. So that, that's been interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Say those things. Yeah, that's... Uh... That was really interesting. Yeah, thanks, Dennis. This has yeah. been this has been great. Yeah, it's, um, it's fun. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, before before I let you go, um, what uh, what would you recommend for uh, for people who are interested in in learning more about this? You yeah. have some uh, some books that you could uh, you could show us. I do. Um, the first one that I think has had just a great impact, and someone who who thinks uh, who thinks well, who speak well. And then they also are thinking about the future. It's uh, Douglas Wilson and his mm. work, Recovering the Lost Tools of Learning. And he, he puts forward uh, Christian classical uh, education. And this was uh, first written in the early 90s, late 1991, when it was first published. Uh, but, the, but the ideas and the values that are put forward in there are still applicable. So if, if I have family saying, where do I start? We'll start yep. with Recovering the Lost Tools of Learning. And he draws from uh, an, an essay, actually it was a, a lecture uh, given by Dorothy Sayers. Okay. Uh, the, called, and she taught of the Lost Tools of Learning. And, uh, and it's just a really helpful, really insightful work. You can, you can Google that and find it very, very easily. And it's just her essay. Uh, and, I, and I do, I, I actually have my, 
my prospective teachers and all of my teachers read that essay. Hmm. Um, it's just a way of thinking about what is classical education. What are we doing? We're, we're, we want our kids to be thinking wisely, but we also want to give them the tools in order to do that. So in order to, to think wisely, to speak wisely, to impact culture that way. Right, right. And she um, was uh, she was writing like 60, 70 years ago, and she's already talking about yeah. talking of them as the lost tools of learning. Right. Yeah. She was seeing something in her in her culture, in, in the academic culture mm. of people who were um, not thinking well. Right. Yeah. So she she wanted to put that forward. Uh, another excellent book is by Susan Schaefer Macaulay. Okay. I don't know how to pronounce the last name. I'm sorry. I've always said Macaulay. Okay, Macaulay. Oh. That sounds right. Uh, written in the in 1984, in the 1980s, it's called a book called the For the Children's Sake, uh, Foundations of Education for Home and School. Um, I first came across this book two, three years ago, and I didn't... I, I was I was actually given a stack of books to review uh, of whether we should keep it for the school or toss it out. Mm. And uh, when I first saw that that book, the book cover, right? I, it was very flowery. It was um, it was very feminine. Mm. And I thought, uh, I don't know, I, maybe these are other things that I, I read. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I was just going to put that aside. But then I saw the name. And I thought, I wonder if there's a connection with Frances Schaefer. And this is Frances Schaefer's daughter. Okay. And, awesome. And so being in the culture of Libri, as well as uh, then doing homeschooling and thinking Christianly, she put forward this amazing book called For the Children's Sake. And it's a reminder of what education is for. It's for children. Hmm. And when we meet with our teachers and we tell them that you're not teaching subjects, you're teaching children. And so we need to be keeping that in mind as far as what huh. we're doing and why we're doing it. We're doing it for kids. Right, uh, right. We're doing it for the family. And so this this book is excellent, excellent, excellent. It's called For the Children's Sake. It's a must-read for Christians. Um, another one, uh, more recently, John Piper, uh, a book called Think. Oh, it, yeah. It is not necessarily a case for classical education. It is a coming back to the idea of Colossians 1 when it says that, that all things come from him. Right. They were made by him. They're for him. And, and he is still holding all things together. And then 118, it says that, so that he may be preeminent. So you look at that all knowledge, all objects, all things um, ought to point to Jesus and him being preeminent. And uh, so you can can look at flowers and you can say that those flowers possess a form of wisdom and virtue that's good for me hmm. has has ideals that's good for me and um, and you can see Christ is preeminent in it because in classical education uh, you, you keep that in mind as like theology is the queen of the sciences everything yeah, yeah. ought to point back to Christ um, being the, the fullness of, of everything so John Piper puts that in front of you in all things um, and it, it's, it's just it's a faithful work. It's one thing that has really impacted me, and it's something that is just a, a call for Christians just to think, to think wisely, hmm. and um, and to think well. So th- those are three. There's a lot of other ones. Another, at least another organization that I would really commend is called the Circe Institute. Um, they've been around for a while, and and I have really been ministered 
by them. They are a Christian classical organization. Yeah, I've and, been I've been following some of their uh, some of their stuff. They have it, some podcasts that I like. Yeah, it is it is profoundly helpful uh, for for in the area of education, whether that's homeschooling or in the in a school setting, um, co-ops in, in, in all different types. Um, it, even a non-classical educator can can learn about how to teach better in their classrooms hmm. and uh, and have an impact in that way. But the Service Institute is just a valuable resource for, for a lot of people. It's been a blessing to me. Oh, that's great. That's uh, that's plenty to uh, sort of get to get the new listener dug in. The... Yeah. And uh, where, would, uh, where would somebody go if they wanted to learn more about... Uh about you or about the school? Sure. Uh, well, you would go to westminsterclassical.ca uh, for our website. And uh, that's really kind of the first and starting point for uh, to learn more about Westminster Classical Christian Academy here in Toronto. Uh, the, one of the things that I'm excited about is that the classical movement is very strong in the States. Uh, right. For example, I was... Uh, Before coming to Canada, I was a school in Louisville, Kentucky, and there were five other classical schools within, you know, a a 20-mile radius. And uh, so so the states have certainly championed classical education. Right. Uh, But but since being here in Canada, part of the appeal um, was that classical education does not have a strong presence here. Right, yeah, for sure. And I, I really believe in classical education. I believe in the power of a classical education because I've seen it. In children, I've seen it in young adults, mm-hmm. and I've even seen it impact me personally. And because of that, um, I mean, I believe in it and in its power, not in the same way as I believe in, in the power of the resurrection. Sure, um, yeah, I yeah. Hold, I don't hold to it that strongly, but uh, I certainly do agree with it, and I believe in it. And if it's the if it's really the best form of education for for children, then it needs to it needs to go out. So I, I love Westminster Classical's vision of, uh, of really going out and impacting culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the Ezra Institute's support of, of our school and, and really seeing it go out as a pioneering effort in Canada. So as of right now that I'm aware of, and maybe some listeners can correct me, but in Toronto, in Ontario, there's four classical schools. Um, and, oh, that's one more and, than I'm aware of. And, so. I'm, and I'm not not aware of many more in all of Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, to me, that excites me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it was interesting is that when we started the school, then I started hearing about communities and groups of what can we do to have a classical school in our area. And so now there's been a lot of interest from coast to coast, from sea to sea, uh, about classical education. And uh, so we're trying to do some work now in order to to see those dreams and those communities and those churches um, to really start start classical schools. Right. And, uh, and I would say, um, That's awesome. for people listening that are pastors, that it really ought to be the work of the church in starting Christian education and pioneering it and, and championing uh, Christian education, and I would say that classical is what fits uh, the church's vision of seeing hmm. a healthy, robust child being catechized and to go out into the world to make disciples uh, right. of all the nations. 
Right. Um, so it is the, the classical education is, is a discipling process of sorts, eh? Oh yeah, very much so, very much so, and it needs to be in the work of the church to mm. to look at that. And it's interesting too because I get a lot of questions from pastors. How does because Westminster Classical Christian Academy is housed in Westminster Chapel. And pastors say, well, how does that relationship work? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I say, well, it, it works because we love each other. The, right. the church loves the school. The school loves the church. Now, a lot of communication yeah. has to happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have to tie up, you know, our security you know, around <laughs> yeah. the building. Um, but there was one day where I was giving a information talk about the school. There was also an ESL class that was meeting uh, in one portion of the building in our school classrooms. At the front of the church was a food and clothing bank ministry that we do. So there were the homeless in the front. Mm-hmm. So there were three or four different ministries that were meeting all at once on this location. And I just thought, what a beautiful thing it is. We don't have to fight uh, over space. We don't have to fight over time. If the carpet gets worn out, you know, churches just need to say, amen, let's replace the carpet because it's being used by children and they're being grown in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Yeah, it's a and, nice problem to have. Yeah, <laughs> instead of instead of the opposite of, oh, man, well, if we have the school, then our church, you know, our carpet's going to get worn out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there certainly is a perspective there that Westminster Chapel um, has. And I, and I know that the Westminster Chapel, uh, the pastor, Joe Boot, had to do a lot of just talking about the value and importance of Christian education. Right. But now, that work being done, uh, the church supports the school in such an amazing way. Uh, so I would just commend pastors to be thinking deeply about it now uh, and to make that a priority to, to look at their physical space. If it's just opening up to a homeschool, classical co-op, classical conversations, mm-hmm. uh, whatever it is, and even in the smallest way, uh, it, is, it is something that needs to be on the forefront of their minds. That's fantastic. Dennis, thanks, uh, thanks again very much for being with us today. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast for Cultural Reformation. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music, and leave us a rating or a review. For more Ezra Institute resources, please visit ezrainstitute.ca. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share it with friends, but do not charge for or alter the material in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. Thank you.